This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. It's good to see you guys. I'm uh, glad to be back in the pulpit. I hope you're glad I'm back in the pulpit. I hope you're glad to hear what I'm going to say today. Uh, no, I, uh, I honestly I, I struggled with this day, struggled this week with this message. Uh, I prepared and I prepared. And have you ever prepared, but you never feel like you're prepared enough? Anybody ever done that? You know, you've studied and I don't feel like I'm prepared enough. And so finally, I had to come to resolve down there to say, Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter because I'm down here going, ah, and I'm going, God, please just help me. I just need help. How many need help from God today? So I'm trusting that he's going to show up and he's going to help me, but he's going to help you. I want to remind you, as we've already stated, Mother's Day is next week, and our daughter Allie is going to be preaching an amazing message, and we're excited to hear her. Uh, I believe she's teaching children's church this morning, and uh, she is an amazing communicator, and so we're excited to be able to have that in, our, in the house next week as she's talking to moms. Um, and then I also want to remind you, as a part of it was Red Outflow is right around the corner and registered is there. And I want to recast a vision. You know, somewhere I think that we get lost. We got lost last year. I think a lot of things got lost last year. Uh, Anybody lose something last year? Be honest, in the middle of COVID, we kind of lost some things. And last year we lost this a heartbeat of Relevant Life Church, and that's what we call outflow, that we leave this building and we go into the streets and we minister to people. And that's the heartbeat of Relevant Life Church. And so I want to resurrect that. I want us to step in. Registration is going to begin next week. It's going to look differently. It's going to be online. It's going to be simpler. Uh, a lot of the projects, we're limited in what we're going to do, but we've got some really great projects, and we need you to make this, success, make this a success. So often we struggle with the idea of what does church look like well, we come and we sit in a chair and da 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 da. I want to ask you that June 6th, is June 6th, right? June 6th. Everyone say June 6th. Will you make it a point to open up your schedule to come serve with us for two hours? Will you do that? I think of the scripture in John chapter 13. This isn't my sermon yet, so hold on. John chapter 13, where Jesus, it says that Jesus was in the upper room, and he took off his outer garment, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. Can I tell you, there is no greater service that you and I can provide to our great city of Salem in the middle of dissension and riots and upheaval than getting our rears out of the chairs and getting out in the streets and serve people, Right? So I ask you, will you, make a, will you make it a point, if you've already scheduled to be gone, will you change your plans? Because this is important. Really, I really want to encourage you to be here and be available. Um, anybody ever wake up and go, uh, what's the worst thing and what's the best thing? Anybody ever have that moment in your life? I'm the only one that ever does that horrible thing, I guess, you know. Uh, the worst thing that happened this morning, let me just tell you this, is my alarm went off. Right? Any, anybody like... What is that God-awful noise right there? Like, dear Jesus, help me. And then all of a sudden, I realized, oh, it's time for me to get up. And oh, do I have to? I, I've been, we've, we've been on a, a loafing schedule lately just because of uh, the, the situation we've been in. And so getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning is not my normal routine lately. And so I was startled. So that was one of the worst things. The other worst thing is after I got out of the shower, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but just so you're aware... Uh, uh, my clothes and me had a war today. Uh, d- does anybody have a war with your clothes? Uh, anybody competitive? 
Anybody competitive? How many don't want to give in? How many want to always win? Uh, I want you to know that I resigned myself that my clothes won today because if I would have won, you wouldn't want to be seen me because I wouldn't have anything on, which would be worse, right? I mean, I'm like going, oh, my word, what's happened in the last four weeks? There's things that have, should not be there. But let me say this, the best things, I'm not going to settle on worse. I'm going to settle on the best. Can I tell you, after my alarm went off, sincerely, this is not a lie, this is not a put on, immediately what came to my mind was, God, thank you for your new mercies today. The second thing I thought as I reached across my king-size bed to go, I'm thankful my wife is by me. And the third thing was three cups of coffee. Amen? Hey, I'm just being real with you today, and I'm going to be real with you today. Today, I want to talk about a thing called journey. Everyone say journey. Not journey like the music group, even though they are amazing. How many are journey fans? Uh, Yeah, right. I mean, if you know my generation, well, even some today, but I mean... You're missing, you're missing out on life if you've not heard Journey, you know, and I could go, I, you know, I was like going, can I put a compilation of their greatest songs up, uh, but then we would be sued or whatever that is, and so, but I want to talk about this idea of Journey. What comes to your mind when you think of Journey? You know, what's the emotion that arises within you? You know, when I think of Journey, I think the great emotion that comes to me is this thing called excitement. Anybody ever feel excitement when you think about a journey? You know, some of the adjectives that, we, uh, that I found in, in online or in the dictionary was an adventure, an expedition, a voyage, a quest, an odyssey, an excursion. I mean, doesn't anybody like, get a little bit excited and go, ah, a journey, exciting, a traverse, a wandering, a passage. You know, maybe you have, uh, I did it last night just as a result of this message, and I got on and watched The Hobbit last night, the first one, The Unexpected Journey. Anybody ever seen The Hobbit, The Unexpected Journey? And all these anticipatory moments that are taking place. What I've realized about this idea of journey, though, is that we like to watch other people's journeys. We really don't want our own journey. Unless our journey is going to be filled with excitement and everything is going to be fun. Am I correct? You know, I mean, we're, we're fans of movies with journeys. We're fans about a movie that has all of the drama and the climax and the cliffhangers, right? But does anybody like the drama and the climax and the cliffhanger in your own life? No. We, I don't think we do. You know, I think most of the time we're living our life not for this journey that you and I are walking, this day-by-day, moment-by-moment journey. We're actually a culture of destinations, We live towards a destination, and a destination is a place worthy of travel. You know, when we think about a destination, oftentimes we put this idea of journey, but a place of destination is, I'm excited to get in the car and drive from here to Disneyland because the destination, who cares about the mileage in the car as you're going? You just want to get there, right? We're a culture of destinations. We come to this place of, you know, I mean, I don't know if you use it or not, but I love the Waze app uh, because, not so much because I don't know how to get someplace, but because it tells me my destination time. It does the countdown. Anybody, as you travel down the freeway, do you look at the big green billboards that say so-and-so in so many miles? Anybody out there that are you even pay attention to those things? 
Why? Because you're looking at the destination. You're going, oh, I only have 180 miles left to get to this place. We live in this mindset of when I graduate or when I get married, when I have kids, when I retire, when I buy a house, when I live on my own, when I'm old enough. We're always living to arrive someplace. Can I tell you that I believe that that is an eternal planted thing within us? We just get it confused with the world we're living in. Because God planted that eternal focus in us about a destination, and that destination is not here. That destination is on the other side of life. That destination is eternal. That destination is eternity in his presence with him. But we get so confused along the way that we think that as we live, we're arriving at a destination. Some of you are at destination moments. You've thought, well, I'm going off to college, or I'm retired, and that's my destination. I'm blah, blah, blah. Can I tell you today, I want to challenge your mindset You're on a journey. You have not arrived yet. Everyone say, I'm on a journey. journey. I want you to feel today the gravity that you have not arrived. Where you're at today is not your destination. God has something better for you. And I'm not just talking about a purpose. I am talking about an eternal location. This idea of journey. How many meaningful moments do you and I miss as we push towards a destination rather than embracing the journey along the way? How many things as we're driving down the freeway to get to Disneyland or get to Montana that we're so focused on the road, thank God some of us are, not wandering and hitting all of the turtles to keep us online. But how many things do we miss along the way because we're so focused on the destination? Someone said to me this last week, they said, Kevin, please, as you walk on this journey, don't forget to gather the treasures along the way. How many treasures have you left behind? How many treasures have you missed because of the destination of just arriving, just getting married, just having kids, just graduating, just going off to college, just just when I, rather than going, God, what is it in the middle of all this? This idea of journey, a definition, is an act or an instance of traveling from one place to another. And the two that I really want to focus on or that I want to emphasize today is a pathway to something. And what I want to say is not the something, but it's the pathway. When we talk about the journey, it's not the something, it's the pathway. It's the road that you're walking. It's the attention to the steps that you're taking. Didn't David basically say that? God, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Not a destination. He never once said declaring that there is an end goal. He was declaring, God, help me to just put one foot in front of the other. Another segment of this is, or another definition is a distance between two specified points from here to here. Meaning that there in life is a lot of specified points that we take these journeys and these jaunts and one person defined them as rest stops along the paths of life. Not the destination, you're just pausing for a break along this path. The hyphen between our birth and our death is this thing called journey. Everyone say journey. That hyphen is not a destination. That hyphen is a time period that is filled with a lot of ups and downs, 
A lot of things that we don't expect. A lot of things that we might enjoy. Hardships, heartaches, tears. Ron and I are on a new segment of our journey. And honestly, we don't want to be on this journey. not a journey that we pick for ourselves. No one likes the idea of walking a journey and having that big C word hanging over your, word, over your life. But Ron and I realize that there's someone that's bigger than just our everyday steps. It's a God that's calling us to a destination and that there is a journey that we have to walk to honor him and to glorify him. And we realize, so today is going to be a message, but it's also going to be an opportunity to teach. We realize that we can go through this journey of clear cell carcinoma, ovarian cancer, and we can speak all the faith that we want to, and we can speak all the Christianese that everyone knows, and we can quote all the verses with you, and we can. But the reality is this, along life's journeys are moments that are hard, and I think somewhere where we've done a disservice as believers, as Christians, is that we try to make everything feel happy rather than realize that, no, there's hard things along the path of life. And right now, Ron and I are in the moments of hard things. We have some really, really good moments. We have a lot of sunshine moments, but I can tell you there's a lot of moments that punch us in the gut and we question and we grieve and we weep and we cry. Some of you may not be completely aware, uh, but Rhonda, February 5th, discovered a mass in her, the right of her abdomen. And when she went in and had it diagnosed, there was a mass the size of a softball. And it took several weeks for us to walk through the process in the midst of COVID, in the midst of us having COVID ourselves and recovering from that. And finally getting to a surgeon that says, no, we need to get this out of your body. And the emotions, the grief that we felt, the fear that was there, the worry that arose. Even though we know, be strong and be courageous for God is with you. Even though we know, don't fear. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Can I be honest and transparent to go, there was a lot of worry. There was a lot of fear moments. There was a lot of crying moments. There were a lot of moments of, God, why? There was this continual whirlwind of emotions and not the emotions that you feel when you're headed to Disneyland. Not the emotions when you get excited that you just won a seven-day trip to Hawaii. These were emotions that hit us at all moments of our life. In the middle of the night, those moments hit. In the, moment of the, in the middle of the night, fear would attack. And can I be transparent and honest with you, even though we still know the answers, there are still moments when fear rise up within us? Can I tell you that God understands our fears? The reason I'm here to share this this morning is, one, I think somewhere we try to live in this thing called denial, to go, no, I can't feel that, I shouldn't feel that, and shame on me for feeling that. And I want to tell you today, I have felt those, that's why I'm preaching this. 
There have been moments why I was sitting in the hospital watching my wife on a bed and them in crisis going, God, are you there? God, do you care? Feeling fear, feeling anxiety, feeling worry. But I can tell you there are those highlights as well. Whatever day that was, I don't remember, but they open the door and in comes a cart filled with flowers from you. Can I tell you, those were moments that brought sunshine and brought, hey, we're not alone. The text messages that came and the words that were spoken, the phone calls and the sincere care, the meals that you guys have inundated us with over the last several weeks. Can I tell you, wow, we're not alone. Sometimes you just need God with skin on. You know, I think of, I think since I'm talking about the Hobbit or referred to the Hobbit, let's go to that whole scene of when Sam is walking up the hill with Frodo and Sam goes, Frodo, I can't carry your burden for you, but I can carry you. Can I tell you today that that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? So you ask us, what can we do? What can we be? How do we handle this? How do we walk with you? I want to be really, really direct with you today of how you can, and I'm going to give you hope today because I'm needing hope today. I'm going back to the word of God that is always sure, right? But I want to also be very faithful to communicate to you what's going on and what's going to be happening over the next few months. Last Tuesday, we stepped into the surgeon's office and kind of got gut punched once again. Even though we had an idea, we were able to see some things on my chart. But the surgeon declared that Rhonda's at stage two clear cell carcinoma. Uh, if you're any familiar with cancer at all, that's a stage three or a grade three cancer, which is very resistant to, to chemo. This is what the world declares, very resistant to chemo. It uh, has to be hit hard and hit aggressive. It is an aggressive cancer. And the one that I think probably honestly brings the most uh, fear or torment to us is that it's also declared a recurring cancer. So not only are we going to have five months of this, but in the back of our minds, the reality is this could come back. And I know that well-intentioned people will come and go, but Kevin, we've got to have faith. And I want to ask you, do you have that same sense of faith in your life when you're in the middle of a crisis like this? So what I want to ask of you, one, continue to text us, continue to love us, continue to pray for us, but most of all, most of all, would you extend to us a lot of grace and a lot of mercy? I know up to this point, we probably have offended some. And I stand here today and I apologize if we've offended you. I apologize if our, our, our response to you was not what you expected. I apologize in the future that we're in the, we're in the middle of chemo and we're in the middle of emotion that we may not respond the way you hope that we would respond. And really gut level honest, I hope that you will purpose to not be offended. I hope that you'll purpose to not make this about you or us, but about a miracle on the other side and walk with us. That today as we come and communicate the truth of God that it's really and it's true, but it's hard. 
We could see it on biblical care. We see it all throughout Scripture. And somewhere we can disconnect ourselves from the reality of the journey. And we want the destination. Can I tell you how badly I want September to come? How badly I want to skip from here to here. And I'm not even the one that's enduring chemo. I'm not the one that it's going to impact physically. But can I tell you, I truly want, I believe this, that God's asking us to embrace something for a purpose, because there's treasures along the way. There's something that God wants us to grab from this. I can say this, that my duties will be covered every 21 days, starting on February 14th, if everything goes well. I May 14th, excuse me. Rhonda begins chemotherapy every 21 days. It's a Friday. They're going to be Fridays. So you can guarantee, you will know that That Sunday, Pastor Kevin's not going to be in church preaching or sitting here worshiping with you because my responsibility is to my wife first. And I know that, I don't want to discount your applause, but I know that that can upset some. And so today I come and I thank you for that. But in the middle of your crisis, When I'm in the middle of my crisis, please don't expect me to step into your crisis just like I normally do. We have an amazing staff, and they are able to pray just like Pastor Kevin can pray. We have an amazing board that can pray just like Pastor Kevin can pray. We have an amazing prayer team led by by Larry and Jan that they pray better than I pray, (laughs) sincerely. So you're going to be lifted up. You will be cared for. Those Sundays, I won't be here, but we're going to have amazing communicators stepping in the pulpit. And I don't, please don't go onto your calendar and go, oh, Pastor Kevin's not there, so I'm not going to show up. We're the body of Christ, and we're on a mission of connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. And the only way we can do that is by gathering together and encouraging one another. So as I transition into the the meat of my message, the purpose of this message, the journey that I've walked, the journey I have had to walk over this last couple couple weeks is the reality is this, the journey is not easy. The journey is unexpected, has drops and turns and lessons. Can I tell you, I thrive on roller coasters. Anybody love roller coasters? I love roller coasters. But I can tell you right now, this roller coaster ride that I'm on of unexpected, I hate I don't like it. It's unexpected. There's hardships, there's heartaches, but there's joys, there's celebrations, there's special moments. The road is not always smooth. It's not easy to always travel. And sometimes there's tension between the person you're traveling with. And I'll say this because I'm afraid someone's going to go, oh my word, we're not getting a divorce. I love my wife. I'm devoted to my wife. She loves me. This is a hard situation. Anybody in your marriage have a hard situation? We will win. We will be better on the other side of this. We've walked long enough together. We're not only going to celebrate 35 years this year. We're going to celebrate 60 years, 25 years from now. I believe it. Some of these challenges, can I tell you, they test your courage. They test your strength. They reveal your weaknesses. Anybody like to acknowledge your weaknesses? I've been confronted with my weakness day in and day out. And what brings me comfort is the scripture where Paul comes and he says, when you are weak, 
When you are weak, when you realize your weakness, when you realize how frail you are, then and only then can God finally be strong in your life. Soren Kierkegaard says this, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Unfortunately, we don't know what the next five months look like. The only way to get through is to walk through. I really believe it's what David said. He goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Can I tell you that there is that reality in our lives that so often we think that if we can just skip through and God's going, no, I want to walk you through. I want to take you through. It's not something to skip. It's not a, a, a grade to test out of. It's something to walk through. God is that person that walks through life with us. I was grasping this last couple weeks, actually the week that Rhonda got home, and I was going through my journals knowing that I had preached or that I had journaled about the scripture that I'm going to use today. And I went through one journal and another journal and another journal. And finally in 2005, a long time ago, anybody here maybe not been born in 2005, you don't remember 2005. Uh, But if you will bear with me, January 16th, 2005. I wrote this quote, it is often said that what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. It means realizing that the person you are today couldn't exist if it weren't for the things that have happened to you in your past. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me. And you'll come and you'll pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. I continue to write that God knows right to the very final detail exactly where I am in my life. He sees me. He cares. He's aware. And you know what? He's even touched by my circumstances. I continue to write, it says, the enemy of my soul wants me to think that God doesn't care that he's left me in this mess. I say, my situation is more than I can bear. And God says, I know what I'm doing. I know the plan that I have for you. And I know the pain in your heart right now. I know you feel overwhelmed, overloaded, pressed down. But believe me, I'm touched with your situation. And I have a plan And it ends with trust me. Can I tell you, as I went back 16 years ago to a situation that was so minor in comparison to what we're experiencing today, those words that I wrote in my journal brought me comfort then, but they bring me comfort today to know that God sees and knows and understands and he is walking with me. You're here today and you're going, God, do you even see? And I want to tell you, God sees where you're at. God knows your circumstances. They may not be what our circumstances are, but can I tell you, just if they're important to you, they're important to him. It doesn't have to be a life or death crisis. It doesn't have to be a declaration of 
gloom despair. It can just be the simplicity of tomorrow is going to be hard and I have to walk through that. God is touched by that. Through these tough circumstances, this verse has become a life verse. But what I realized that jolted me really quickly is this verse panned through my mind the Tuesday after we got home. I don't remember the day. They've all kind of slid together. But that, I, Jeremiah 29, 11, and I thought, I wrote about this a long time ago. What is it? God, I need, I, I need something. You know when you're clinging for something? And I went and I discovered that by itself, this word is this, this verse is filled with power. It's filled with victory. It's filled with comfort, right? Anybody, I mean, this is the number one verse across the United States. I mean, we're talking, it's plaque worthy. Am I correct? Anybody have a plaque in your house with these words on it? It's t-shirt worthy. Anybody have a t-shirt that has it? It's bumper sticker worthy. It's, it's a powerful verse. But can I tell you today that so often we miss the gravity of this verse because we miss the context of the verse, And today I want to come and I want to bring the context of the verse, not just the comfort of a passage of Scripture that we can cherry pick and pull out and go, oh, I claim this upon my life. I want you to understand when these words were being spoken and how they were being spoken. For you to get that, you have to understand that being a prophet for Israel was not a fun project or a fun assignment. Their number one assignment was to bring gloom and despair and judgment upon a country. God would speak to them his disappointment. God would speak to them his judgment that was coming. God would speak to them the sin that Israel had come. And Jeremiah is having to step up or the prophet would step up and they would appeal to the people. And many times they were judged themselves and they were stoned themselves. They were rejected because of the word that was being brought. That's the gravity of what Jeremiah is talking about today. The book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah himself, he is one, the, the, the one prophet that reveals most heart in all of his writings. He's known as the weeping prophet. He's known as the reluctant prophet. He's known as the prophet of loneliness. Many people don't realize this, but he was commanded to not marry, that his marriage was to be to God and not to a woman. He was a persecuted prophet. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. beaten. He was falsely accused. So in the context of understanding this chapter and the writing of this amazing verse that we cherry pick out, we have to understand Jeremiah had a hard life. Jeremiah chapter 20 kind of gives us a little bit of background of who he is. And he says, this is him writing. He says, oh, that I would have died in my mother's womb. Don't you go like, Jeremiah, you're like filled with drama. (laughs) Can I tell you, anybody ever have situations you're just going, oh, I don't want to encounter this. Jeremiah, he's going, oh, that I would have died in my mother's womb, that her body would have been my grave. Why was I ever, even ever born? My entire life has been with trouble, sorrow, and shame. That's the context that we step into this chapter that Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites. Jeremiah chapter 29, let's start in verse 1. He says this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and, the, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He entrusted this letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and all these names to bring to them 
and to read to them. And verse 4, it says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, to all those carried into exile, or excuse me, I forgot a word there that's very important, for all those that I carried into exile. That God himself is coming and saying, where you're at is because I brought you there. Where you're at is part of the journey that you are on. Verse 5, it says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they too may have sons and daughters and increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in the name, in my name, and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. Then you will call on me and then you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you and from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring bring you back to the place from which I carried you in exile. Can I tell you, we can cling to chapter verse 11 really well, but verse 11 loses its gravity if we don't understand the, gra- the, the magnitude and the context of this passage of Scripture. Jeremiah is coming and he's declaring, life seems horrible right now. Life is actually sucky. You have been exiled. You have been taken away. You have been held captive. Everything you know, have known has been pulled out from underneath you. We discover from the previous chapter that Jeremiah has just pronounced judgment upon the false prophet Hananiah. So if you want to understand the context, go back and read 27, 28, 29, and 30 to gather the whole content of this. I don't have time to walk it through, but there was a prophet Hananiah, and he was false prophesying. Hananiah had told the people that God would break the yoke of Babylon, freeing the people to return home within two years, while the message undoubtedly sounding appealing to the people was a lie. And now you have Jeremiah coming and going, Hananiah, you're a liar. You're a false prophet. It's not going to be two years. Sorry, you don't get an escape. It's going to be 70 years. Let me ask you, how many want the two years? Isn't that how we felt at the beginning of COVID, going, oh, this is just going to be a three-month process? Now we're a year later, more than a year later, and we're like going, I picked the two months. Right? This process in life, oftentimes we don't understand, and you and I in our humanity, the Israelites in their humanity, they just wanted rescued from their suffering. They didn't want to endure. They didn't want to walk the journey. They didn't want to walk through the drama. You know, I've presumed that they could look back and see the victories of their God going, yeah, God delivered them. He opened the Red Sea for them and all these things. And how amazing is God? And then they get to a situation and they're going, God, where are you? Isn't it easier to look at someone else's life and their blessing and their miracle and then be caught in the middle of your aloneness and go, God, where are you? 
Jeremiah's goal for all of this chapter was to speak to God's people amidst hardships and suffering. I want you to hear me this morning. Yes, we serve an amazing God. Yes, our God is a miraculous God. Yes, God is good. Yes, we can sing about the goodness of God. But there are a lot of times life is very, very hard. How many can admit that this last year has not been easy? And can I tell you this? It's all right for you to say it's not easy. It doesn't mean that we get caught in gloom, despair, and agony on me. It doesn't mean that we live in the doldrums. It doesn't mean that we wash off our faces and put a smile on our face because we know God's victorious. But God knows exactly what you're feeling. God knew exactly what the Israelites were were, were feeling. But Jeremiah is coming. 29 chapters in. 29 chapters after calamity, 29 chapters of exile, 29 chapters of all of these horrible things to bring three verses of hope. What would have happened if they wouldn't have heard those three verses of hope? Can I tell you that I even believe as Jeremiah is speaking, much like many times you and I listen that someone is declaring the word of God and we sometimes hear and we sometimes don't. I'm probably even imagining that these people are going, I want to listen to Hananiah, Jeremiah. I don't want to listen to you. I like what Hananiah is saying better than you are, and I'm on Hananiah's side. It actually says that God took Hananiah. It doesn't say how. It just says God took him. It doesn't necessarily mean a positive thing. Real quickly today, from this passage of Scripture, I want to give you three kinds of people in our world. They're parroted in this passage of Scripture. And I want to ask you, which one are you? In all honesty, I fall in all three of them from time to time. This journey, I've fallen in all three of them. But I want to ask you, and I want to tell you today that I really believe it's all right for us to be honest with God and feel these things as long as we recenter ourselves on Him. Number one, there are those, those people with no hope. If you were to be completely transparent and honest with me, if I were to be able to read your Dear Diary journal entries or the thoughts that you have when you wake up in the morning or the things that you've faced over this last year, how many would you have been able to say, there's been times that I have felt no hope? Is there going to be any hope to go back to school? Is society going to look normal? I saw a post this week that it looks like, once again, one more thing from our students is being taken away. And you kind of go, is that... Where's the hope in that? Does anybody feel the gravity of those things? Maybe you've not been impacted by COVID, but maybe there are situations in your life that you just feel discouraged by the government. You feel discouraged by relationships. You feel discouraged by the boundaries on your life. You know, this idea of hopelessness is, is actually having no expectation of relief. You know, we keep looking for an answer for COVID, but... The reality is hopelessness goes, there is no answer. And in reality, can I just be gut-level honest with you? In our culture, in America today, there is no answer. It has to be God. He is the only one. As we come back, and I don't want to bring calamity, but the reality is this. They're testing now to go, is the vaccine even working like they thought it was going to work? Well, Kevin, you're creating fear. No, I want you to get your eyes off of what you have placed hope in. And get your eyes on the one who is hope. 
Hopelessness brings no expectation of relief. There's no rescue. There's no deliverance. Hopelessness causes isolation. Anybody isolate over the last year? Hopelessness brings grief. Anybody feel grief over the last year? Hopelessness brings depression. Anybody feel depressed and anxious over the last year? Hopelessness hopelessness brings addictive behavior. Can I tell you, addictions in America have soared. Hopelessness produces self-harming. These are all signs of our society today. Jeremiah 29, 1 and 4, Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem this letter to the surviving, and he says, you've been carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. All All of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem. Can I tell you that the exiles had lost everything? You've been locked in your home, but you've not lost everything. They didn't even have a home. You've been locked in your neighborhood. You've been reduced to interacting. They've been removed from their culture and their temple and their ability to worship God the way that they felt they needed to worship God. There were some in this group of people that there was absolutely no hope for them. They were there grieving. They were mourning over what they had lost. Can you imagine feeling what these people were feeling? Can you imagine that maybe that they were even mad at God, going, God, we may deserve this because we're sinners. We may deserve this because you're bringing judgment. But how unfair of you. As I'm sitting in the surgical waiting room, watching individual after individual after individual get reports on their loved ones, some successful and some happy, and some not successful and some not happy. Watching one get delivered information that I'm not completely sure was being delivered, but they're weeping as the nurse or surgeon is speaking to them in this room rather than pulling them to a place that's private because of COVID. It's all happening in a room that's probably a third of this room. Can I tell you, my heart broke because of the hopelessness they felt. Can I tell you that in the middle of all that, I had to put myself in that situation and cling to hope, to go, God, my wife's going to be okay. Can I tell you, when we went into surgery on Thursday, I thought, I don't know so much her thought, but I thought we're going to go home Saturday. This is going to be a cyst and it's going to be come out and it's going to be an issue and we're going to go home. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call at 8 o'clock that night after the surgeon gets out and says, Kevin, we're done with surgery. They're closing her up right now, but we took out a volleyball-sized mass out of her stomach. It wasn't a cyst. It is cancer. The more that we have found out about all of that and we've processed, the reality was a harsh reality. There were things that felt hopeless as I'm watching her on Sunday and her struggling in her body. I'm going, God, I feel helpless and I feel hopeless. God, where are you? God, why is this happening? Not having hope. But I can tell you this, it wasn't until we came to a place of saying, God, we surrender, that we started to sense victory. Recognizing that the God that we serve is a good, good God. That even though things happen, bad things happen, because he loves us, he allows chastening in our lives. Can I tell you that oftentimes we view chastening as something so horrible when chastening is going, God's just saying, I love you so much, I'm going to grow your character. I love you so much, I'm going to carry you through this. 
our in-house theologian, Tyler Boston, made a statement to me on Wednesday. He made the statement. He goes, Kevin, how often when we pray, do we pray for my will rather than thy will? Can I tell you in honesty, as I went into the surgery waiting room and as I'm waiting for Rhonda to get into surgery and I'm waiting for this long process to take place, as he made that statement, I had to go back and reevaluate all my prayers. Not that they were evil prayers, but I was really praying for my will rather than, God, thy will be done. And I want to challenge you today. I think so often we can get mad at God because we're praying my will rather than thy will be done. I got to move on. Number two, point number two, those with no hope. Point number two is those with false hope. False hope that, uh, I'm going to say this, false hope in our culture today that that the vaccine is going to solve a pandemic. False hope today that the right president is going to solve America's problems. False hope is that where we're going to, where we put this hope in something that is tangible that really cannot sustain. Jeremiah 29, 8 and 9, it says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. The false prophets had convinced the people that their stay in Babylon would be a brief one. And he's coming back and going, no, embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. And then we all go, ugh. Right? We can look at the last night, 13 months, 14 months, and go, ugh. And God goes, have you gathered any treasure out of this last 14 months of your journey? Have you been so headed towards a destination that you've overlooked and missed the droppings along the way that I'm trying to give you? And that's what I'm determined, that Rhonda and I are determined, that we're going to try to step in to this in a different form. Jeremiah is coming, he's going, there's going to be a brand new normal, and we hate new normals, do we not? Right now, Ron and I have a brand new normal. It would be easy for the, war, the Jews to wage war against the idolatrous captors, to strive against them rather than just to settle in, to indulge in their false hopes and to miss all that God has planned along the way. Can I tell you today that There's a lot of false hope out there. There's a lot of stuff online that you shouldn't be reading. There's a lot of stuff online you can read. You know, I remember just a real quick story, a real quick scenario. Ron and I came back, and she was part of a a cancer blog group for a while and was finding some stuff that was really, really good. And then there would be moments that she would read something, and it would just, like, knock the air out of her. And I remember asking her this question, but, honey, how many of them have God in the equation. Can I tell you that we can face a lot of our circumstances on our own and just push through? And we as Christians can leave God out of the equation. We as Christians can go, no, uh, they've got chemo for that and chemo is going to take care of us. But I can tell you false hope is chemo. False hope in this type of cancer is chemo because it's a grade three cancer and it a lot of times reoccurs. So our false hope in chemo is not going to sustain us. We have to come back and go, God, you're part of this equation. We're thankful for medical staff. God, we're thankful for the gifting that you've given medicine. Can I tell you today, where are you able to go? Where have you placed your false hope? Have you placed your false hope in your banking account, in your retirement fund? Have you placed your false hope in a moment that's going to take place? Where are you placing a false hope rather than realizing 
you don't have any control over tomorrow. Speaking from a control freak. Someone who's planned and scheduled, realizing that every 21 days could end up not being 21 days. The plans that I have may not be the plans that God desires, and I have to not look at five months. I have to look at moment by moment. Lastly today, those who have true hope. Those who have true hope. Priscilla Shire says this. I want you to get this. Life is a bowl of broken dreams, immeasurable joy, and pregnant hope. And a look through a telescope into a vast universe full of endless possibilities reflected through the lens of God's grace. Can I tell you, what lens are you looking through? I can go to no hope and I can go to false hope, but I can tell you I want to settle on this kind of hope that is able to look through the lens of God's endless grace. In Christ, we have the assurance of a life filled with hope and promise, yet because of fear and uncertainty, we may many times walk through life as if it were not sure that, that, ice is, that the ice is not thick enough to support our weight. Have you ever felt that way? God, if I put my weight completely on you in this circumstance, are you going to be there or are you not? I have walked with God all of my life. And I hate to say this, but there were emotions and there were feelings that arose in my heart to go, God, I don't know if I can put my weight on you. God, are you going to break? God, this is not what I anticipated. God, this is not what I've wanted. Priscilla goes on to say this, God wants to make, take all of the happiness, the joy, and the peace of heaven along with all the disasters, the messes, the pain, and the heartache that, it, that you have endured and forge them together. Everyone say forge. Can I tell you, if you miss the journey, if you try to bypass, he doesn't have anything to forge together, to forge together, blending them into a story of grace fulfilling his purpose in your life. Isn't that what it's about? Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. I'm a planner, like I said. Anybody planners here? Can I tell you, we know the ultimate planner. The designer of all things who had a plan on day one, he did this. On day two, he did this. On day three, he did this. On day four, he did this. On day five, he did this. He had a schedule and a plan. And he even said, this plan is going to be a continual plan because the sun will rise and the sun will set. I say all that because planning is not wrong. But surrendering to the planner is what we need to do rather than be the planner. These plans, this word prosper means that you'll, pros- that you'll flourish, that you'll abound, that he will make you complete, that he won't harm you, that no, no, he will not allow wickedness or destruction or defaming to come into your life. Plans to give you a future. Those things that are the moment from now, not a destination. When you look at this word, it's not a destination. It's not talking heavenly future. It's talking tomorrow. It's talking the next moment. We want to be predictable and have all these answers. Today, we're going to go do. 
Can I tell you that when he promises a future, he's saying, are you putting your next moment into my hands? Plans to give you hope. A feeling of confidence filled with expectation and anticipation. Today, where Rhonda and I are settling at this moment, even though the roller coaster continues to ride, we pull ourselves back, we have an expectation of hope. We're believing for a miracle, and we're asking you to believe for a miracle with us. Can I tell you this? I'm believing for a miracle in your life. I know that we're not the only ones that are in the middle of a crisis. Right now, I know there are people watching online today that are laying in a hospital bed and they're suffering and they can't breathe as I've texted and talked to them. Can I tell you, there are people all around us that are suffering. So as I come and preach about our journey today, I don't want to take away from your journey because your journey is just as important as my journey. God cares just as much about your journey as he does mine. Two weeks ago, Larry Tomlinson preached a message. And a quote that I took from him as he was closing that has played over and over and over in my spirit. God's activity in your life is surer than the sun coming up tomorrow morning. Can I tell you how that has just permeated my spirit? That even though I may not see the sunshine in Salem, Oregon, because it's covered with gray, It's shining someplace. And God's activity is sure. God sees and God sustains and God recognizes. Louis Giglio says this, God will not lead you to a place that he has not already gone before you. Those are great words, but can I tell you, when you accept that and you allow that to settle in your spirit, God will not God will not take you where he's not already gone. Everything in our life is filtered by him. I got to close because I've gone way too long and I apologize for that, but I want to bring this one last scripture. The very theme of Jeremiah is in, G- is in Jeremiah chapter 30 and I want to just read the verse 17. It says, For I will restore to you your health and I will heal you from your wounds. And I'm not talking today about anything about health and I'm not prophesying what we think God's going to do in our situation. What I want you to pick up on is those three words or four words, I will restore you. I'm going to say that today. I will restore you. Can I tell you that God is in the God of restoration? We see Jeremiah 29, 11, this happiness in the middle of gloom, but God ends the chapter. Jeremiah comes with this amazing thing to say, I will restore you. It's not going to be you that restores yourself. It's not going to be a government that restores you. It's not going to be a circumstance that changes that restores you. It's not going to be a destination of marriage or college or whatever. It's God. God's the one that's going to restore you. So today, if you are here, as the lights have been dimmed, eyes closed, if you'd be so bold, I believe in recognition before God rather than just an acknowledgement in your heart, I would ask for a physical recognition. Maybe today you're here and you're going, Pastor Kevin, there are situations in my life, maybe in a marriage, maybe in a relationship, I absolutely have no hope. Is there anyone here today that would say, I have no hope? No one's looking but me and I just want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Maybe you're here today. How many would be so bold 
to say, I have false hope. I've put my hope in the wrong things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, how many of you need more hope in Jesus? How many need that solidness, that confidence, that boldness? God, today, would you stand to your feet? God, today, as I extend my hands across this congregation, God, I pray for your peace and your strength. God, I pray for solidness of hope. God, that you'd restore. God, bring restoration. God, what the enemy has meant for harm, God, would you bring it to good? God, would you bring hope and life? God, help us not to be destination-focused. Help us to be gathering the treasures along the way. Holy Spirit, today, speak to hearts, speak to lives, change situations and circumstances. God, help us to embrace it whether you do or whether you don't. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for showing up today. I want to encourage you to to register for next Sunday. Today we have stepped back into prayer teams. And if you need someone to physically pray with you, we are doing it COVID style and they're going to be here to pray with you. But we believe in the power of anointing with oil. And if you need to be anointed with oil today, we want to give you that opportunity. Come and let them do so as we close today. Make sure you register for next week. We'll see you. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.